Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday, January 23rd. Welcome to Middays with Gerard Gibbard. I'm Richard Cross in for Gerard today, along with the one and only, the great Rhino. Thanks for being with us in the Element Wealth Studio. You thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or give them a call at 601 957 6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income and growth and guarantees i'm kind of planning to retire rhino maybe even after the show today what do you what do you think i was gonna say eventually yeah well yeah no i was you know hopeful that it would be later today but we'll see may not work out that way um good to be with you this morning a little bit different time slot a little bit different content for me but this is uh this is fun uh and it is primary day in new hampshire and you uh if you follow new hampshire politics at all you know that uh, that means there was a, a late night slash early start for the people of Dixville Notch. They have their midnight primary. They want to be the first. They want to be the first to cast their primary election ballots in the state of New Hampshire. Do you know how many people vote in uh, in Dixville Notch? Oh, it can't be more than a couple dozen. Six. Ah, well, there you go. Half dozen. All six primary voters in Dixville Notch, New Hampshire, cast their ballots in favor of Nikki Haley early this morning, just after midnight. Um, Nikki Haley appreciated the vote. She said a great start to a great day in New Hampshire. Thank you, Dixville Notch. The tradition of being the first in-state to declare its primary results dates back to 1960. And for a really long time, they were, uh, they were accurate. The town's Republican primary winner went on to lead the party's bid for the White House in every election between 1968 and 2012. So they're on a little bit of a dry spell after a world-class heater. I don't know what that means. Uh, will, the, will the dry spell continue? Most likely, based on the, uh, the results there. Uh, just one of the little, uh, little quirks, one of the little fun things that happens, I suppose, in primary politics. Um, do you read on the, uh, the, the shake-up? of the the primaries and kind of the order of the primaries and the race to be first. Iowa's always first. New Hampshire has traditionally gone second, but the the Democrat Party decided that uh, it was important to give states with larger minority groups a larger voice in the early part of the primary season so as not to push them to the side. And so um, the Democrat Party is not they are not awarding any delegates based on the results of the primary. And Joe Biden is actually not on the Democratic primary ballot in New Hampshire today. Yeah, they got to write him in if they want to vote for him. Yeah. And I don't know. How many people are going to do that? 
There are 21 names on the Democratic primary. I think 24 on the uh, Republican side and 24. And uh, it's one of those states where you got to declare, right? You're either a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent, and that is how you have to be registered. You have to vote as how you are registered in one of those primaries, not which... Not one of the states where you just kind of show up to the polls and you say, okay, I'm either going to vote in the Republican primary or the Democrat primary. You have to uh, state in advance with um, what you're going to do. So is that good or bad or makes no difference one way or the other? I mean, with all the shuffling, and I'm sure this is a conversation that was had by some when in the 50s and 60s you had different state parties trying to be the first, trying to, to move theirs and change their bylaws. There's really only so much farther back the the calendar they can go. Yeah. I mean, they can't really start doing this in December of last year. No, what is it? So state law in New Hampshire uh, says that they have to be at least a week before the next primary. Something like that, yeah. so they're not going to change their state laws. And uh, anyway... So that's uh, that's happening today. We will uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on in New Hampshire later this afternoon. Uh, we also it, it appears uh, as it is down to two on the Republican side of things that it's going to be Donald Trump and Nikki Haley battling it out for the Republican nomination. Most would tell you that uh, it looks like Donald Trump will win the nomination, and so if that is the case, who will his vice president candidate be? And uh, Rhino's going to tell you exactly who it should be. Well, Scuttlebutt is that it's some sort of former politician from New York. Oh. And I don't know that I would... That's not Rudy Giuliani, by the way? Well, I would hope not. No. no, After the Four Seasons debacle, I don't think he has much of a political future. No. Uh, Well, it may not be former... It may be a current political person from the state of New York. True. There's there's a little bit of conversation back and forth about age and the need to bring in young voters because the Democrat Party does a really good job of energizing the youth vote. Mm-hmm. And there really only has been one candidate on the Republican side that has energized any kind of youth vote, and that was Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. I just don't see him being a VP pick. Yeah. If Trump were to win... I think he will have a place in the administration. Oh, yeah. Um, and probably a, a cabinet position, a, a high-ranking position, but I don't think it's going to be as the uh, the VP. But he is going to continue to stump, and I, I don't think his name is going away in, uh, in mainstream politics at all. Uh, potentially, potentially a big day in the state of Mississippi. Uh, we are, what, a week, week and a half removed from... Well, not even that far. A week removed from the announcement of the massive economic development project in North Mississippi in Marshall County. Uh, There is some rumor and some scuttlebutt. I think those are good Gerard words that there is another economic development announcement that will be significant for the state of Mississippi that could be coming as late as later today. And it's expected to be in central Mississippi, probably in the Madison County area. And uh, maybe we'll be able to give you a little bit more information about that as we go through the show today. But this is, um, uh, based on everything I've been able to gather, it's, uh, it is a brand name, no doubt. And uh, we'll see what that means in terms of jobs and whether or not it's, you know, is it manufacturing? Is it in the technology space? Uh, we'll see. Um, There's been a lot you... of speculation, but 
one of the things that I keep seeing over and over on social media that I just I don't see it happening. And that's a Tesla manufacturing plant where they actually make the Tesla vehicles. I just I don't see that happening. Why? Because they've made such a huge investment in the plant in Texas. Yeah. And they haven't grown that much to be needing a whole new plant. Set a record for production this past year, and I don't think Tesla's going away. They will eventually need... Do you think they just increase the size of their footprint in Texas, or do you think eventually it gets to the point where to make distribution easier, they go to some strategic locations? I think they've got to grow pretty precipitously before they start looking at, at needing distribution, because... They're kind of a la carte already. I mean, you you can order a Tesla and they'll deliver it to your front door. Yeah. Would you drive a Tesla? Oh yeah, I've actually when uh, was it Hertz, the rental company that put out a bunch of their Teslas for pretty good prices. I took about thirty forty five minutes looking at them because I'm really close to paying off my car, and because of where I live in proximity to the studio, if I got an EV. I could charge it once every week or two, and that would be it. That, that'd be all I would need. And then if I needed to go on a road trip, I still have the gas-powered car. Oh, so you would keep both? You wouldn't, oh, yeah. You, you wouldn't cash in the, the gas-powered car no. extru- exclusively electric? No, not yet. They're not quite there yet. Does the, uh, does the Cybertruck do anything for you? Not at that price range, no. <laughs> that's that's, a, that's a, a wealthy man's toy that I, I don't want any part of. There you go. Uh, fun show coming up for you today. Ryan Miller from uh, Accelerate Mississippi, along with Dr. Courtney Taylor, who is Deputy Director for Programs and Strategy at Accelerate Mississippi, will be with us in studio for the uh, the next couple of segments as we kind of transition into this new year. And we thaw out. It's like we haven't been able to start the new year because, at least in North Mississippi, we've been frozen in as we near the end of the month of January. We'll talk about what's on the docket for Mississippi as they continue to work through the uh, workforce development and lots of other things. So uh, Ryan Miller and Courtney Taylor will be with us coming up uh, next. We will get into a little bit more of the New Hampshire conversation, the VP conversation, what's going on at the border. Maybe some a little surprised by the Supreme Court's vote yesterday to – take some control away from Texas and give it back to the feds and the Border Patrol people. There's a mess at the southern border. We know that uh, with certainty. And uh, then there's also the piece where it's being held up in Congress. Also, they need a lot of money for the immigration crisis. But at the same time, are you tying that money to what needs to happen in Ukraine? It's a mess. Senator David Parker will join us in the 12 o'clock hour as we roll into the afternoon portion of the show. He represents DeSoto County in District 2. And uh, some weather concerns that we may have in Mississippi as we go throughout the week. Alongside Rhino, Richard Cross in for Gerard today on Middays in the Element Wealth Studio. We're back with you right after this. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back to Middays. Richard Cross in for Gerard Gibbard in the Element Wealth Studios. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Rhino, and a couple of guests in studio. I'm disappointed not to be in the Jackson Studios today, but uh, it's my pleasure to welcome from Accelerate Mississippi, Dr. Courtney Taylor. She is Deputy Director for Programs and Strategy at Accelerate Mississippi. And Ryan Miller, who's the Executive Director at uh, Accelerate Mississippi as well. Great to have both of you. How are you? Richard, we're doing great. How are you? Really good. Really good. Have you all thought out up there yet? <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm concerned. It is, it is close. We had the, the most significant progress between when I went to bed last night and when I woke <laughs> up this morning. I was like, it's finally going away. Oh, and uh, I guess now a lot of rain is uh, all the way. Courtney, i got to start with you. I, uh, we're going we're gonna to tell the truth just right out of the gate. <laughs> okay. How often does uh, Ryan Miller bring a guitar to the office? <laughs> Oh, I cannot confirm nor deny that that number, but I will say I have seen a guitar on occasion okay. early in the mornings. Okay. This is a uh, setup. Ryan, I got a question <laughs> for you as well. Yes, sir. Uh, as, as someone who occasionally mm-hmm. writes and performs their own music, right. how much do you hate it when buddies ask you to play covers of other songs that are not originals by you? Freebird. Oh, no, 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 no. So when buddies ask me to play covers and then specifically say, do not play originals, Richard, that's when I get my feelings really hurt. Not saying that that ever happened, but may or may not have happened in the past. No, no originals. That's when my feelings are really hurt. Rhino, theoretically, <laughs> somewhere along the way, Rhino, uh, uh, Ryan Miller might have been playing the guitar on a, on a porch. And he's like, hey, guys, let me play this for you. We're like, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, but could you play this? <laughs> that's not George Jones. Play George Jones. That's all I heard the whole night. Merle Haggard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Ryan, full disclosure, Ryan and I go way, way back. He and his uh, beautiful family used to live in Oxford. We were in school at the same time and uh, have a lot of mutual friends and have spent a lot of time together. Really happy, Ryan, for uh, for you, your success. Thank you. And the success of Accelerate Mississippi. So yes. I actually would like to, to do a little bit of a rewind. I know you've been a regular guest on, on Super Talk, and, and there are lots of people that understand what Accelerate Mississippi has. You worked at the... Center for Manufacturing Excellence on the Ole Miss campus and left that university position to go into this state position. Tell us why you made that move and what's happening at Accelerate Mississippi that um, uh, is so important for the state. Sure. Well, and I appreciate the the, the question. Yeah, I I think, uh, Richard, when I think about my time at the CME, the thing that I loved most about working there for almost 13 years was getting to navigate career path development with students, like helping young people understand all the opportunities that was were there for them, and then helping them align kind of their passion points, their ability, and where those two things intersect, the job market. That was fun. That's where you got to see eyes light up. That's where you got to see those light bulbs go off in students' minds, where they could see a pathway to success in a career that maybe they might not have otherwise thought about. The CME is, I, I'm just going to be honest, yes, I'm a, I'm a homer, yes, I'm a, I'm a, 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 a fan, um, I have a little bit of inside baseball there but I think they do that better than than most uh, programs because they they know how to pull out of students strengths they all know how to help students kind of understand weaknesses and turn those into strengths they do it better than anybody and when I had the opportunity to take on this role there was a blank slate there was a completely blank board except for the unifying thread or theme that I was going to be able to help people navigate developing career paths for themselves I was going to help Mississippians figure 
figure out how to gain access to pathways that lead to careers that are in demand right now, that pay unbelievable wages, so industry yeah. needing them, um, but helping people navigate. I love helping. I love people. I love Mississippi. And, and, and fortunately, I've got teammates in the office like Courtney who, who have that same passion, have that same philosophy at, at heart. So, Courtney, workforce development, I, I think, is, is a buzzword. Right, and, and if if you if you strip everything away, I mean, it's like okay, th- this makes sense. It's a, a good way to describe a lot of what's happening at Accelerate. But talk to me a little bit about what that means um, for for Accelerate Mississippi, and um, kind of how that factors into what you do on a day to day basis. Yes, yeah, so workforce development is the, the long-term pipeline. It's often confused with workforce training, and I won't get into a dissertation on that. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but, but it's often you know, kind of conflated with workforce training. And, and so we have to remind people that workforce training is a vital part of workforce development. It's just not all of it. And, and so really, on workforce development, you're talking birth to death of the individual. And as technology changes, it becomes more and more important for people to seek skills continuously throughout their life. And so that's kind of how we have approached our programs looking at every level um, and and tackling kind of the ones that have the greatest need first and and moving on to the next as we've moved forward. And and that's kind of how we set up our programs, our funding requests, and things like that. We can, uh, if, if you need more water, we can help with that. I, I know we can make that happen. No, 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 you're good. She water. gets choked up when she thinks about workforce development. There you go. It's just, just so passionate and so uh, deep. I'll let either of you, you take this, mm-hmm. so if, if Courtney needs a, a break for a second. When we talk about the workforce in Mississippi, um, mm-hmm. what, what is the status uh, of our current workforce? Because when economic development projects arise, I, I often hear um, – uh, our leaders and people that are involved in, in ED projects say we've got a great workforce in Mississippi with an incredible work ethic and can be trained or is trainable. So in terms of the people that we have available for jobs, what does the workforce look like? Well, I, I, I'll yield to some of Courtney's expertise in this, but I, I'll tell you uh, it is true that Mississippi has a hardworking people, and I think there are a great many people in the state that recognize the opportunities that are available to them and want to take steps to improve their lives and improve the uh, financial health of their families. And we see that every day. We encounter those those Mississippians every day who ask the question of how do I get myself on this path or how do I take advantage of this new opportunity from either an existing company growing and expanding through an economic development project or one like you heard about last week where we're bringing 2,000 jobs to the state of Mississippi and, and folks are excited about taking advantage of that. The, the, the point that I would drive home here, Richard, is that it is not as black and white as I think most people would would believe it to be. You can look at unemployment, which is incredibly low. That's a good thing. You can look at labor force participation, which is incredibly low, and that's a horrible thing. There are multiple factors and variables involved in how you calculate that number, um, how you take those numbers and try to uh, come up with a diagnostic check of how we are as a state. I would say this, um, that that, um, we have a lot of uh, momentum in in positive momentum in growing, uh, uh, you know, opportunities 
opportunities for people. We've just got to figure out how to get more uh, more men and women in Mississippi plugged into these pathways, increasing that labor force participation, but getting them not just into jobs, but to better jobs like those 2,000 that are coming to, to Marshall County. So it's a, it's a sliding scale, and there's a lot of variables, and, and Cordy can talk a little bit about the data that we have to look at to get to the why are we low in that number, and then also why are we performing so well in unemployment. Yeah, so we, we do have fewer people in the workforce today than we did in 2019 and, and um, pretty much any other time, realistically. Um, we have to look at why that is. You know, in, in Mississippi, COVID, you know, wreaked havoc in a lot of ways. And, and so we're still walking through that, I think, as individuals, as, as organizations. And uh, what we found is there are people who want to work. They're just exhausted, overwhelmed, and, and they're trying to navigate the system. There's about 7,000 people that don't show up in any numbers but are considered kind of considered tangentially attached to the labor force uh, labor force that they're not going to show up in any of the federal data because that stuff gets wonky um, but those are the people that we're working with our partners to try to get to that need a nudge that that need just a little bit more of something to help walk them through uh, I think you know humans in general need other humans and mm-hmm. and so that's what we have spent a lot of time doing is positioning humans uh, to help each other and uh, finding resources where we can that this several programs it, you know kind of go along that line but it's really important that we kind of take a pause and just recognize that it there's no federal model right now uh, for how to do this and all of the data and all all of everything that we depend on is built in what I call just kind of the old school workforce day everything that we need for the future is being built as we speak we got about 90 seconds into the break, and so this may be kind of a carryover question. How much of, of what you do is about developing the existing workforce in Mississippi versus attracting new members who maybe are not? We, we've, we've heard about people leaving the state of Mississippi. What about attracting new people to Mississippi to help continue to build that workforce? Sure. So we, we kind of characterize, put those two buckets in our office, and people, uh, in fact, they've created drinking games around the phrases that I use now. But uh, <laughs> the idea of workforce triage is where we're focusing on those existing jobs and horizon thinking, which we can get into after the break, is, is where we, we try to focus on building infrastructure and in our lower educational partnerships and, and pathways to be prepared for new jobs and new opportunities that are on the horizon and coming. So it's probably, I'd say it's a, it's a healthy 50-50 that we focus on right now, but we can talk more detail and specifics uh, maybe after we come back. This is Middays with Gerard Gibber. Richard Cross in for Gerard. We're in the Element Wealth Studios visiting with Ryan Miller and Courtney Taylor from Accelerate Mississippi. We've got more coming up with you on the other side of this quick timeout. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Richard Cross in for Gerard in the Element Wealth Studio. Visit myelementwealth.com. Call them at 601-957-6006. Continuing our conversation 
with Ryan Miller, who's Executive Director at Accelerate Mississippi, and Courtney Taylor, who is the Deputy Director for Programs and Strategy. Good to be with both of you. Appreciate you coming in. If, uh, if we were playing buzzword bingo, I think Ryan Miller got the, uh, the, the king spot on the board Amen. when he said horizon thinking. I'm telling you, man, I got it tattooed backwards on my chest so I can see it in the mirror every morning horizon before I come Horizon thinking. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> the heck does that mean? Well, I, I will, I'll tell you as best I can. Uh, we, we, we really, uh, all jokes aside, uh, we, we throw out these words all the time, and I know that it gets uh, laborious and we belabor them, but the truth is we really do view these, these buckets or these three legs of the stool in our office Okay. Uh, because it's important. Uh, the, the approach that we're taking to workforce in the state is a holistic one. And so uh, workforce triage for us is, is essentially using funds that we have responsibility over. We, we actually are able to direct millions of dollars every year through our community college training partners to try to help set up training programs, enhance existing training programs that get industries, pe- industry members and partners, people faster into positions with specific skills that they need. That's a triage. How do we stop the bleeding? How do we get more people into jobs that are available right now? Is or, that through the WIN program, Ryan? Is that, is, it, or is that something different? That's different. That's, so okay. that's through the okay. Mississippi Department of Employment Securities and their WIOA responsibilities. That's where you see a lot of those WIN job centers. Ours is a little okay. bit different, but that Workforce Enhancement Training Fund is what we deploy. It's about $20 million a year that we oversee going through community colleges to help with those immediate needs. Horizon thinking is mainly how are we preparing our state for what we know is coming. So that's our an example of horizon thinking is our career coach program that we've deployed. Last year, legislature appropriated about $12 million, or not about, they appropriated $12 million uh, that has allowed us to see the career coach footprint of the state increased almost 180 coaches around the state of Mississippi. And these are men and women who are shepherding young people each and every day in our high schools, helping them navigate that career planning uh, uh, pathway. That's that's laying that foundation. That's laying that predicate. That's an example of horizon thinking. We've got to be prepared now for what we know is coming because the third leg of that stool is what we call customizable training. So we have triage, horizon thinking, and now customizable training, which is what you see in other states around us. They've been doing this for years, but they have, in my opinion, they have failed to focus on the holistic nature of workforce, and so they are very one-dimensional. Our customizable training plan that Courtney is uh, is helping to d- d- develop, build, and deploy is where you see companies like uh, the, the, the announcement last week where we're developing a customized plan to uh, entice that company, to bring that company in, and to ensure that they have the people now and in perpetuity that they need with skills they need the combination of those three things is how we attract more industry business and more people to move to mississippi quite frankly it's the holistic approach and uh fortunately i've got some really smart teammates who uh, who know how to do that so so courtney does the the time horizon that exists between a major economic development announcement like we had last week for the the marshall county project coming up that's 1.9 billion but it's not ready to roll today. Correct. 2027. But, all right. So, so 2027, and we're in early 2024. Does that three-year window give you the ability to successfully build out that, that workforce or at least um, supplement the existing workforce with, with new workers who might not today have any training, 
or, or very little training related to, to what's going to be happening at that facility, but they will be ready to go by the time the doors open? Yeah, so three years gives us some time. It sounds like a long time, but it really it's isn't in, in the workforce world. It's it's about a minute and a half in the hmm. workforce world. Um, humans, humans can make their own choices, so it, it takes a while. Um, but yeah, it, the work has already started uh, in that region with our community college partners, even across the state line with some, some across the state line partners um, to just kind of conceptually understand where we're at, where we need to go. And yeah, we end up in these kinds of scenarios looking right now and saying, what programs do we have to put in place? What money do we need? What equipment do we need? What facilities? You know, all those kinds of things. Um, to get them going. Um, but it, it also really, one of the things about the announcement is it gets people excited. So when mm-hmm. I talk about the people who are tangential to the workforce, those people get excited and they come back into the fold. Um, you get people from other states who recognize, you know, low cost of living or maybe they, they see something about the quality of life in Mississippi they want. So those sorts of things kind of create an influx of people that we can work with and determine where are they now, where do they need to get uh, in partnership with the company. But, yeah, that work started before the announcement ever even happened, and it will continue even beyond, you know, Ryan talks about kind of our support with companies. It doesn't end just when they hit their number uh, of employees. They hit 2,000. We don't go away. Like We still are going to be working with them and the local partners to make sure we have what we need, just like we support our existing industry uh, partners today. What's the relationship between Accelerate Mississippi and, and MDA? That's a great question. Uh, first of all, you know, we also want to give a shout out to MDA. They, they work really, really hard. Um, Justin Hall, who's the local economic developer in Marshall County, all the folks at MDA under Bill Cork's leadership, and, and even Laura Hip, who was there before uh, Bill took over, they've been working uh, very, very hard on making this a uh, reality. And so Bill did a great job last week navigating the, with the legislature, communicating the position of the state. Um, we, we are not economic developers. We are, a, we are an office that is they're understanding that we're a tool that is used by economic developers mm-hmm. to try to build trust and to build um, a relationship with potential uh, industry partners that they feel confidence that when they put boots on the ground, they're going to have everything they need when they need it. Uh, as uh, as Bill always talks about being uh, fast to market or speed to market, we want to make sure that we deploy our resources as a teammate to MDA so that that industry knows, hey, Accelerate's in the game. We know we're going to have the training for uh, infrastructure that we need, the workforce infrastructure, uh, when we need it. So we work very closely. Uh, we take, let them, I mean, obviously we want them to be the lead in those economic development projects, but we are always there close behind if they need us to make sure that we can build that trust and, and strengthen that relationship with that prospective company. So, so I know you said you're, you're certainly different from MDA, but I'm trying to kind of marry these two things. And I'm thinking about some of the economic development projects across Mississippi mm. that have yielded positive results. Mm. And, and curious if that becomes um, an incentive for companies that might be looking to relocate or, or open new facilities. So, so I think about the success of our, our two major car manufacturers with, with Nissan and Canton, with, with Toyota and Blue Springs mm. there in North Mississippi. Um, the the tire manufacturer that's in the the Golden Triangle mm-hmm. area, the Yokohama. relocation of, of Winchester in, in North Mississippi. Yes, yeah, sorry, Yokohama. Mm-hmm. Um, you know some of the success that's happened on the coast as well. Can you point to the successes of we have helped develop these workforces, we have placed these jobs, we have put people in, and these companies are thriving in a a friendly environment mm-hmm. in, in terms of welcoming environment from the state of Mississippi on the business level. Mm-hmm. To, 
to point to the successes where where it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy well i i can point to some of those past successes and tell you that there have been some there are some amazing people here in the state of mississippi that have worked very hard over the years to bring those types of projects to fruition so you know david rumbarger at cdf and tupelo and his team has were very involved in toyota and and certainly uh have worked very very uh diligently over years to make that a reality along with a lot of other leadership uh i know that uh, joe max higgins in the in the golden triangle working very hard to make yoko Yokohama tire a reality, uh, and certainly don't take anything away from their successes. I mean, they 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 built relationships and really leveraged those rela- relationships in a way that brought those opportunities to the state. I would say where we fit in, mm-hmm. we, we're not trying to replace nor duplicate or be redundant. If anything, we're trying to be a teammate to folks like that with additional resources, but keeping okay. in mind that we were called to coordinate re- uh, efforts. There was a lot of a uh, lot of successes in the past, but what we need to see better of uh, throughout the state, around the entire state, is more coordinated effort for workforce so that it's more consistent across the board. So we see more of those kinds of successes grow and thrive throughout the entire state. Well, also where we serve as an expert, so our new companies don't have to know on day one how to, how to what all the acronyms mean. There's a ton of acronyms in, in sure. workforce. So. Yeah. So, so centralizing the whole process, right? And, right. And just making it easier for everybody involved. Well, and so you know this too. I think I heard you're going to have David Parker on uh, later today. Yes. Uh, Senator Parker was the workforce chairman in the Senate uh, this past legislative session, and now uh, Daniel Sparks uh, is going to serve in that capacity. But but Senator Parker is still on the committee, and so he has a great understanding and certainly the historical context of where we had some successes, but we also it was just uh, discombobulated. It was disconnected. Connected. There was a lot of uh, our, our boss uh, that we report to says a lot of disjointedness, and so trying to better coordinate, being much more efficient and effective, and making sure that we're living up to the legislative mandate that we were given to do this more cost effectively and at a higher rate of success. Um, I think uh, I think you're going to see great things ahead. I don't get the impression that either of you sit around just twiddling your thumbs, wondering what to do next very often. If I have time to twiddle my thumbs, I'll play a guitar instead. That's all I'll tell you, and I don't get to do that near enough. <laughs> hey, and you know what? It's worth it. If you have a chance to listen, I promise you it's worth it. Uh, Ryan, great to catch up. It's been far too long. Yeah, Courtney, thank you for joining us as well. Happy to be uh, here. Wish you all the best, and hope we can visit more in the future. We appreciate you. Thank Thanks. you. Ryan Miller, Courtney Taylor from Accelerate Mississippi. A lot going on in their world. We will wrap up the 10 o'clock hour coming up next right here in the Element Wealth Studios. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Both Ryan Miller and Courtney Taylor for joining us in studio, uh, in studio, the Element Wealth Studio, uh, for a conversation about Accelerate Mississippi. I just got to be honest; I I learned some things there and uh, may have um, 
spent too much time trying to to tie what's happening accelerate uh, at accelerate Mississippi to um, MDA and kind of their initiatives to to try to bring businesses to Mississippi. But I do feel like it all works together. And right now, I couldn't help but think, and obviously, this is a, a different conversation headed in a different direction. When you think about some of the surrounding states, um, and and you look at what's happening in Alabama, especially in Huntsville. I mean, it's just become a technology hub. And I do know that Huntsville has the advantage of having NASA to to start things off. Um, But you look at Little Rock and northwest Arkansas and some of the development that's happening there. It's like, is enough of that happening in Mississippi? How do we grow that? And certainly workforce development is a piece of the puzzle there. Um, we get a, a, a really a, – the, the huge announcement last week. And, look, I, I was listening yesterday. I, I, cannot, I cannot break the economics down of the, um, the economic project in Marshall County the way Gerard can. I, I just can't. It's not, that's not my forte. But I do know when you're talking about 2000 – High-paying jobs in Mississippi, that's a big deal. And we've got another significant economic development announcement that is on the way maybe as soon as this afternoon. Who knows? Might be as soon as we finish the show today. They, uh, the governor might take to the uh, to the stage and, and make the announcement. But that that's coming as well, and that's coming to Madison County, we believe, central Mississippi with, with more jobs. Uh, technological advancements. Rhino is convinced that it is not a Tesla manufacturing facility. Just doesn't feel like the the timing is right for that, even though so many people online are convinced that's the answer. I am led to believe that you are correct, that it is not a Tesla manufacturing facility. How many jobs would that lead to? Oh, that would be a couple thousand easy. I mean... You look. You would. You would have to compare it to the likes of Nissan or Toyota for just mm-hmm. sheer size. Yeah. Maybe not in terms of volume, but in terms of footprint, right? To, to be able to scale to the volume that they would like to get to one day. But yeah, no, I don't, I don't think that's what what you're dealing with as well. Um, I think you're talking about uh, one of the one of the biggest companies, one of the most forward facing companies in the world. I think is part of what's coming this afternoon, and I think that it's going to be in the technology space. So we'll uh, we'll see um, if if that indeed. And, and what's fascinating about these announcements is all of the people that it takes to pull it off. So announcing a company is coming to your state is one thing, but then you look at okay the. What are the tax incentives that are there, and who has to be involved in that? And what about construction, and who has to be involved in that? And infrastructure, and who has to be involved in that? And workforce development, and filling, like, there are a lot of pieces. A lot of pieces that have to be in place. And everybody's got to be pulling in the same direction. And it all happens in phases, because you have a lot of people pulling in one direction for the construction of a facility that's going to employ thousands of people. And then after the construction is done, you have a shift and you have a whole bunch of people coming in to hire and train and set up. And it, it's just, it, it all comes in phases. And each one of those phases 
has an economic benefit to the state and especially yeah. the surrounding area around the development. Well, and then the the ongoing um the ongoing needs of a facility. Oh yeah. So so let, let's just say if it if it falls in the technology space, what is that? They're going to have to have significant inter, uh, infrastructure in terms of fiber and maintenance of that fiber, um, but also power, right? I mean, they they're going to have to have a lot of juice to make it run if that indeed is what um, where we're headed. Unless they've somehow managed to develop a technology that runs on air, then then yeah, it's going to require power. That feels like that would be an economic windfall if you could do that. Somehow, yeah. Is there any way to harness the air to power? I'm sure it would lead to global warming. I don't know. Well, you've seen the newest iterations where you don't have to have these gigantic windmills. You can just put a little... It looks like one of those wobbly, flailing arm man things you have at a car lot. But it's a little bit more rigid. But the wind wiggles it. And that wiggle is enough to generate power. You don't have to have this giant plot of land and these huge turbines. You can get wind power with just a little wiggling thing on the top of your building. Really? Oh, yeah. You know a lot of stuff, Rhino. You, you do. This is not new. I've, I've known this for a long time about you, but uh, you never cease to amaze me. This is Middays. We'll take a timeout. 11 o'clock hour coming up next right after the news. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. o'clock on this Tuesday, the 23rd of January. Richard Cross in for Gerard Gibbard on middays on Super Talk Mississippi, coming to you from the Element Wealth Studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and and guarantees. Let's open up the ceasefire text line to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Please don't text and drive. Be smart about that. Love to hear from you this afternoon. Some of the topics that we will get into in this 11 o'clock hour, we'll talk a little bit more about New Hampshire, uh, just kind of the, the nuts and bolts of how the New Hampshire primary works. Uh, I, I said earlier that uh, Rhino was going to tell us just messing with Rhino a little bit. Who his uh, who his vice president candidate is? If uh, Donald Trump ends up as the Republican nominee, um, and I think we need to touch on what's going on at the southern border uh, a little bit as well this afternoon, uh, including what Texas is doing and their vow to continue to fight back until. Supreme Court and the federal government that uh, we have not reached the end of the line in terms of uh, what we're willing to do to uh, protect what is ours. That's what uh, Texas says, including building their own wall. You seen this, Rhino? 
Didn't they try that? Was it New Mexico that built one out of shipping containers and they forced them to take it apart? How can you... How can it... I mean, if you don't do it on the border, I mean, if you go a few hundred feet back if or if you were to go a mile inland, can they force you to take it apart then? No, but at that point, how much good does it really do? Well, I mean, if it's solid... Right? I guess. I mean, the the thing about the border is you have kind of choke points where it's easier access at certain locations. So if you build the wall there versus a mile back, they've already made it through that choke point, and you would have to find a similar choke point that's being utilized. Unless you just made one continuous wall. I mean, in, in theory, if you have a big wall, you either have to go over it or around it or under it or through it. True. But maybe you can't make a continuous wall. I, I don't know. Um, I got a mess. Got a mess down on the uh, southern border in Texas, though. Um, Red and Ridgeland, by the way, uh, in, in terms of us uh, using air to power, I, it was just a get-rich quick scheme I was looking for. Uh, not you telling me that floppy arms on the uh, the car lot thing are producing power. Yeah, I went to find it, actually, during the break. It's a company out of Spain called Vortex. Mm-hmm. They make bladeless wind power. Okay. And it, it's just a composite column. Cost? I think it's actually technically still in development. Mm. They're, they're trying to get it ready to go, but uh, they've got a huge list of backers on their website, and they've been doing it since 2020. So fingers crossed it's close. Yeah. Red and Ridgeland says, how about we just figure out a way to grab the hydrogen atoms in the air and use them as a steady stream of fuel for fusion power? I mean, fusion would be awesome, and there are advancements in that, but it feels like we still don't quite have the technology to harness it. Whereas fission, we know that through and through very well, and for the longest time it was considered green energy, but now it's untouchable. (sighs) Until it becomes green again? Until somebody decides that it's actually green after all? Right. Yeah. It's like... It's like fashion trends. Everything that's that's old becomes new again, or something along those lines. Uh, Jeff in Forest County says, wish that uh, we could get more economic development, wishes to accelerate Mississippi, and the Mississippi legislature would focus getting industry south of I-20, perhaps in the, in the Pine Belt. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing about economic development projects, right, is that regardless of where you live, you want those to be close to where you are. Um. Toyota and all of its subsidiaries in North Mississippi has been great for Pontotoc and Union and Lee counties. And maybe there's been a, a little bit of a trickle over into into Lafayette County. But if it was closer to Lafayette County, it feels like that might have done more for you know, it's like regardless of where you are, you want more of that. But I think it's a, I don't think that's unreasonable. I mean certainly um, there is kind of a transportation infrastructure that's there that would would make that make sense and um, high population area uh, by Mississippi standards in the Pine Belt as well so maybe that's on the way Jeff Um, or maybe I am speaking completely out of turn and you tell me I have no idea that's what I uh, thought well it's it's something we've talked about a couple times since the the announcement of the Marshall County economic development project that it it's not entirely up to 
local development leaders, but that's where the ball generally starts rolling, is you have a, a group of local developers that either have the land or the know-how to get these projects started, and then as they're going downhill, they snowball. Yeah. I mean, just, just look at the growth that the Golden Triangle or the, the Tupelo area have seen in the last couple decades because of their local leadership and their local developers really working hard. Yeah. It's not like the Mississippi Development Authority throws out a big net and says, hey, company X, we want – that's not a <laughs> – that is not an Elon reference, I promise. But, uh, hey, Company X, why don't you come to Mississippi and then see what happens? That's not the way it works. It's a very specific plan of, hey, um, you know, in conjunction with these local governments, the state of Mississippi is offering this, and, you know, it's a, it's a courting process um, and a, a long process as well. To, uh, to get to the finish line on some of these things. Primary night in New Hampshire. Last polls in New Hampshire closed tonight at 8 Eastern. Most of the state closes at 7 Eastern, some of them at 7.30. So everything will close between 7 and 8. Uh, I told you earlier that uh, Dixville Notch, which has only a handful of residents, they uh, opened their polls at midnight Eastern last night. Uh, and then they close just a few minutes later once all of the voters have cast their ballots. I mean, that's one way to do it, right? You know how many registered voters you have, and you get 100% participation, and then just shut it down. Nobody has to sit around for uh, an entire day. So all six of their registered voters uh, cast their ballot. All six of those went to uh, Nikki Haley. Republican primary ballot has 24 names on it, including Ron DeSantis, who's dropped out, uh, Nikki Haley, and Donald Trump. The ballot also includes names of other candidates that are no longer Part of the race, including Chris Christie and Asa Hutchison and uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and others. It's so fascinating to me. The Democrat ballot um, has 21 names on it, and Joe Biden's is not one of them. It's just not listed on the ballot. They've got the uh, the write-in party. Talked earlier about who gets to vote, right? You have to uh, you have to be registered as a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent. If you are an Independent, you can choose which primary you vote in. Otherwise, you have to vote in. Uh, that party's primary, and if you are 17 but you will be 18 by the November general election, you can't vote in the primaries as well. Um, 873,000 registered voters in New Hampshire. Registered Republicans make up 31% of the voter base, 30% for Democrats, Independents and unaffiliated voters make up the other 39%. In recent Democratic presidential primaries in New Hampshire, turnout was 43% of the eligible voters, which is it's not terrible. Um, Republican side, 23% of eligible voters voted in 2020. That was when Trump was for running for running for re-election. But if you go back to 2016, when he first ran... Uh, 44% turned out, and their vote-counting process is pretty fast, so they will get through it as well. Um, Trump with a convincing win in Iowa. A convincing win for Trump in New Hampshire, and 
this party's over before it gets started, right? Sure does seem like it. Is this Nikki Haley's last gasp? Not that she's going to shut her campaign down, but if she doesn't perform well in New Hampshire, then what route does she have other than just wasting a ton of money? And that's the thing. She's If she doesn't perform well today and honestly doesn't exceed expectations today, it's going to be really difficult for her financial support to continue at the level it is. Yeah. And then the flip side of that is, if it's really close in New Hampshire, then that gives those people kind of the energy boost that they need to say, all right, this thing's got a chance. we gotta, we got to build some momentum. I mean, Biden finished third, fourth in Iowa last go-around and obviously mounted the charge as it went along on the Democrat side. So uh, it's a pretty important day, and uh, they have spent a ton of time, they being the Haley campaign in New Hampshire, getting ready for this. We'll be back with you. It's middays on Super Talk Mississippi. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, on to the real part. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Middays on Super Talk Mississippi with you in the Element Wealth Studios. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com and let them help you find your balance between income growth and guarantees. Also, a reminder, you can keep up with everything happening in the presidential primaries by going to supertalk.fm slash elections. You'll get a full breakdown of state-by-state results, delegate counts, and more. That's supertalk.fm slash elections. So we may be headed for a little bit of a mess from a weather standpoint in Mississippi. Uh, I know primarily north Mississippi. Rhino, what are we We're using that north of 82 dividing line as as kind of the, the bad weather, okay weather over the last week. For the most part, yeah. The uh, That's where you're going to see the majority of the problems, considering all the meltwater that is going to be there trying to find a place to run off, plus the rain coming. But the rainfall itself kind of drapes itself across the Magnolia State. If you draw a line on the trace going from, from northeast to southwest, the, the elevated risk for downpours and flash flooding is that section of the state so you add that on top of all the meltwater in the north yeah the ground zero for soggy days ahead is definitely north mississippi north of 82. yeah and i think soggy may be the the important word because the ground is just going to be mush going forward so i'm using oxford as an example because that's where i live so starting last sunday afternoon so sunday a week ago the the sleet started, and it basically for 24 hours, maybe even 30 hours, was a mix of sleet with some snow. 
I know northeast Mississippi up around Corinth got almost all snow. Tupelo, uh, just to our east, got like nothing but ice. There was very little snow mixed in. But, but basically, north Mississippi got popped pretty good. Where we are, there has been, until the last day and a half, almost zero melt. I mean, you know, some of it because roads are being cleared and people are driving on it a, a little bit. But in terms of areas that weren't affected by snowplows, it's all still there until about a day and a half ago. It started melting, and then last night it stayed in the mid-40s overnight. So when I woke up this morning, Rhino, it was like just slush everywhere. And so if you were to walk through a yard right now, yeah, you may still have some snow or some ice on top of the grass, but the it's just soggy below it. And kind of looking at the forecast ahead, Again, this is North Mississippi, half an inch predicted for tonight, tomorrow an inch during the day, half an inch during the evening, Thursday, quarter of an inch during the day. We're talking about a couple of inches of rain on top of all the melt, and we got a chance for a mess. And there's some forecasts that are showing localized areas of rainfall exceeding seven inches, up to eight inches of rain in a 24 to 48-hour period. That's a problem. Yeah, that that's going to lead to a problem in the best of conditions. <laughs> yeah. Um, so remember all the the rules, right? You come up on a flooded area, don't try to cross the road. It is kind of weird under. to go from drive like you got grandma in the back seat wearing a fancy dress, holding glasses of sweet tea, to turn around, don't drown. Can we just get some sunshine and like? I would say get spring here, but spring usually means rain as well. Like we need some sunshine and some dry days for uh, for a little bit. I mean, but, the it, it is going to help a little bit with the ongoing drought that the Magnolia State has experienced in recent memory, but mm-hmm. you don't need that much water at once. It, it, it can't all go somewhere. <laughs> Could we do this gradually instead of all at once? That would be um, That would be nice. So... Going back to New Hampshire and what we were talking about just uh, a few minutes ago, um, really, really important day for Nikki Haley and for the Nikki Haley campaign. If she does not perform well in New Hampshire, even if it doesn't officially end her campaign, it may effectively end her campaign. Um, We're a long way from the convention. I understand that. But, I mean, look, everything could be decided well before the convention. You, You certainly know that's a possibility. So if we make an educated assumption that ultimately Donald Trump is the nominee, and that is, I understand that that is fraught with problems, right? There, all of the lawsuits and all the pending litigation, and you know, would could he be in jail at the time? And uh, we'll figure all that later. Let's just set that aside for a second and say, who is the right vice presidential candidate for Donald Trump in the event that he does become the Republican Party's nominee? So there are popular names, there are outlandish names, these are just names. One of those popular names, I know you kind of alluded to this earlier, is Elise Stefanik, the um, representative from New York, and there appears to be an appetite from the Trump campaign, maybe from Donald Trump himself, to have a female on the ticket as a, a vice presidential candidate. And that maybe, 
None of this is, can I say this? None of this is about what's actually best for governing. It's all about what's best for garnering votes, right? Well, that's politics 101. Yeah, I know, I know, but still. Like, every great once in a while, I try to be a little Pollyanna about it. How important is it, do you think, to have a female as the vice presidential candidate, if it is indeed Trump? Personally, it has zero importance to me, but politically, I feel like it at least has to be in the conversation. Okay. So Lisa Fanick would... Boy, this sounds crass when I say it this way, so forgive me. She would check that box? Yes. Um, J.D. Vance, interesting name. Republican from uh, Ohio, senator, author. Uh, fascinating story. Does he do anything for you? Mm, I mean, he kind of fits the mold. What I'm looking at is does, does Trump go with the same playbook of he's he's – He's not very self-aware, but he's self-aware enough to know that he's a bit of a wild card. So he he needs the the straight man for his odd couple there, and that's yeah. what he got with Mike Pence. I don't know if Vance plays that card that. well enough. Yeah, yeah. Hillbilly elegy, interesting read. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about JD Vance and his uh, his background. J.D. Vance doesn't strike me as a guy who who is interested in being the fall guy either. No. And he he had a quote where he said, "Look, he's like, yes, if President Trump asked for me to be his vice presidential candidate, I certainly would consider it out of respect, if nothing else, because it'd be a great honor to be asked. But let's be real: if Donald Trump wins this election, he needs friends on Capitol Hill as well, and I might be better suited to help from." the Senate floor than as the vice president. And there may be some wisdom to that. And also allows you to get close without being too close. Um, the governor from South Dakota, Christy Nome, interesting, uh, interesting background for her there. Pretty well liked in South Dakota. Disliked by some outside the state of South Dakota. I don't get the impression that the people of South Dakota care what other people think about how they vote. Former Arizona gubernatorial candidate, Kari Lake. And then, look, you get names that you see every single time, right? Lindsey Graham's name pops up. Lindsey Graham's not going to be the vice presidential candidate for Donald Trump. Henry McMaster from South Carolina. Sarah Huckabee Sanders from Arkansas. She's a, she's a fireball. I don't know if, if that's one that makes sense or not. She's in a pretty good place in Arkansas in terms of getting things done. Um, Ben Carson's name pops up in a story at Forbes. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, who has announced that he is not seeking another uh, another term. And then Tim Scott, uh, Senator Tim Scott from uh, from South Carolina, who has been uh, he he was an advocate for Trump when he was in office the first time. He has maintained that there are people that whisper about Tim Scott. You know, why, why is why, why is he who he is? Why is his personal life what it is? But he just keeps on plugging. I'm not gonna lie. I've I've been impressed with Tim Scott over kind of an extended period of time. Well, I'd if start, 
if history repeats itself and he's looking for, like I said earlier, that straight man for his odd couple, I think Tim Scott fits that mold better than anybody. Yeah. And certainly there is a diversity piece that uh, goes along with Tim Scott as the vice presidential nominee. Trump tells people close to him that he's already chosen who he's going to pick. But they don't really believe him. Or at least they expect if he has chosen for that choice to change a bunch of times between now and then. Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Well, you know you make me want to kick my heels up and down. Text line is open, 601-879-4395. It feels like from time to time we should um, issue a reminder that we're not necessarily looking at the text line 100% of the time that we're on the air. And so just because you send 13 messages in 28 minutes, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get to it. But, but, you know, maybe it does. Maybe your persistence um is is why I'm actually recognizing that you've sent 13 messages but I, I, I'm afraid you're you're kind of barking up the wrong tree one question where's R- Gerard that's how it started Rhino followed by Richard sounds like one of those Republicans with money hey you guys give Haley a try I'm just curious what I've said over the course of the last hour and 38 minutes that makes you think I'm a Nikki Haley guy. Tulsi Gabbard. And then Tulsi Gabbard and then Tulsi Gabbard and okay, you're not listening to me. I'm going to listen to something else. I'm changing the channel. Followed by the longest message you've sent yesterday. I, I, look, you, you get an opinion. That's fine. Vote your opinion. Vote your conscience. Vote your heart. Vote what you believe. But having a conversation about candidates, it's kind of what we do here. Kind of. But if you want to be mad at me, like if that makes you feel better, then um, be my guest. Feel free to be mad at me. It's fine. It's all good. In the meantime, for those of you who aren't mad at me, who do you want to see? as the vice presidential nominee. And this is going on the assumption that um, that Donald Trump wins the Republican nomination. Right now, if we hit whoever your person is, like, like that you, and, I, and I'm not saying how you would vote, that's not, I'm not painting you into that corner, but if you had to say, this is the ticket that gives Republicans the best opportunity to win in the general election, you know that Donald Trump is at the top of that ticket, Who's number two on the ticket that gives Republicans the best chance to win? Hmm. 
It's close between Tim Scott and Ron DeSantis, but I don't see Ron DeSantis going along with it. And I don't really see Tim Scott going back to the whole, you have to at least have the conversation about, do you have a woman? Do you have a person of color? Do you have this or that to check a box? I don't know that Tim Scott checking that box necessarily brings in African-American voters in a way that makes a big enough difference. But if, if I had to choose today, I would probably say Tim Scott, although with the caveat of that is repeating the same concept as 16 and 20, and it's only got a 50-50 win chance. I think you're on to something with the whole Tim Scott doesn't necessarily bring voters that weren't coming otherwise. Um, and I don't know if I can exactly put my finger on why. Or maybe I can, but I don't feel like I can say it without getting into trouble. Um but Tim Scott does not have the broad appeal that Barack Obama had running as a man of color. True. He, or he, you would have seen his numbers do better in the primaries. Or not the primaries, absolutely. but you would, have, you would have seen more support behind him after the first and second debates. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, the name that, that is starting to gain a little bit of momentum, and we'll see if this goes anywhere, is... Um, at least Stefanik. She is the representative from New York. She is a Republican. And she has been campaigning for Trump. She's been stumping for him. And there are a lot of people that, that are pretty impressed. She was on stage with him on Friday night in New Hampshire. Went by campaign headquarters, was making calls for Trump. Uh, first member of Congress to endorse his comeback bid and has said that if asked, she would be honored to uh, to serve in that role. Is that too forward? Uh, it's like there's a, a narrow line to walk, you know, like openly campaigning to be chosen to be the vice president, not always a good plan. But at the same time, you got to show a little bit of interest. I don't know. I think in... Traditional politics, you would want to show as little interest as possible while behind the scenes expressing interest to the right parties. But with a presidential nominee like Trump, it kind of has to be a, a public dog and pony show. Yeah. You just can't go too far like, uh, say, Carrie Lake. It seemed like Carrie Lake has been campaigning since the day after she lost to... <laughs> tie herself <laughs> yeah. to Trump in a future presidency. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right about that. Do you think... I, I'm, not, I'm not completely being serious when I say this, but I kind of am. Do you think the inner circle at Trump headquarters has had to tell him, no, sir, you, you can't have a television show where you vet who the candidate your vice presidential candidates are going to be they won't agree to that <laughs> and he goes ah but the apprentice was so successful do you know how many people would watch millions tens of millions 
And he actually might not be wrong. Yeah, but where would they... What what channel would they put it on, or would they have to put it on something like Twitter? Yeah, it would have to go online somewhere. It'd have to go online. I mean, I don't think NBC's carrying The Apprentice colon vice president. No. Or Veep. <laughs> Although it might be a ratings bonanza and a moneymaker for them as well. Um, but no, Debbie Trump would be trying to figure out yeah, how do you raise money out of doing that. I, I don't know. Um... Somebody says, why vote for a lesser evil? What are we... Oh, sorry. Um, you nailed it, Rhino, with the um, the track kind of being the, the Natchez Trace, kind of working from southwest Mississippi to northeast Mississippi for that heaviest rainfall. So if you are traveling over the next few days on the Trace in particular... Got to be really, really careful on the roads because there's a lot of rain that's on the way. Carol sent us a couple of images from uh, stations in uh, in North Mississippi showing the heaviest areas expected to be oh Tupelo, a little bit southwest of Houston, uh, Tupelo as well, East Central Mississippi, kind of the heaviest hit areas in terms of rain potential through Thursday afternoon. We certainly will keep an eye on that, and uh, Gerard will be back tomorrow. So, uh, so, 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 friend who doesn't give us your name, but is a seven three one area code, you know, congratulations. You can uh, use Gerard as a punching bag tomorrow. This was his parting shot. FYI, you're an Ole Miss a hole. Your wife tells you how to vote. You know me so well, so well. Rhino, would you tell me I shouldn't be engaging here? No. It, it's it's fun from time to time. I don't think it makes for good radio to constantly go back and forth with no. someone that, no, no, no. that wants to be antagonistic, but from time to time, it's great. It's most fun. Hey, look, he tells us his name is Michelle. Very cool. You can uh, you can text the show as well, 601-879-4395. That is the C Spire text line. Again, 601-879-4395. The recent cold weather throughout the state has had a critical impact on the current blood supply level for the state. Less than one day's supply left on our shelves. Mississippi Blood Services is in desperate need of the following types. O negative and O positive, B negative, B positive, A negative, if you are A positive or AB positive, please come in and consider donating platelets. You can call Mississippi Blood Services at 601-368-2673. You go to msblood.com to find a blood drive near you. That's msblood.com and find a blood drive near you. We will wrap up the 11 o'clock hour. Remind you that uh, coming up in the noon hour, Senator David Parker from District 2, representing DeSoto County. He's chair of the Senate Accountability, Efficiency, and Transparency Committee. We uh, look forward to a visit with uh, him, including um, his interest in reviving and revamping uh, the ballot initiative process in the state of Mississippi. And um, get his thoughts on, on that and other things as we roll on. Michelle, really appreciate you uh, being part of the conversation. Uh, you, you added a lot to it this afternoon, so thanks. We're back with you, wrapping up the 11 o'clock hour right after this.
with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi. Today on Middays on Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Wealth Studio, elementwealth.com, 601-957-6006. Let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Alongside Rhino, I'm Richard Cross in for Gerard today. Gerard doing anything fun? I think yeah. he's speaking to a, a club. I don't remember where he said he was going, but yeah, he's he's doing a speaking engagement today. There you go. Good deal. I'm sure he's doing a uh, wonderful job. Um, as always, always enjoy listening to Gerard and fun to uh, to sit in for uh, a change. It's way easier to get up and get going for the ten o'clock show than uh, than filling in for Paul. Oh yeah, that that six o'clock start is uh, is no joke at all. Um. All right, so. The Supreme Court weighed in yesterday on the border issue in Texas, a dispute between the Biden administration and Republican Governor Greg Abbott, who installed the razor wire in an effort to prevent illegal border crossings. So a closely divided Supreme Court on Monday allowed Border Patrol agents to cut through or move razor wire that Texas, the state, installed on the U.S.-Mexico border as part of the state's effort to prevent illegal border crossings. The court's vote was 5-4, and I think the important thing to know here is that uh, John Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett were on the no side. Um, right, wrong, or indifferent, it is thought to be a partisan court right now. You get four pretty staunch conservatives in Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh. John Roberts has waxed and waned, uh, waned through the years, as uh, Amy Coney Barrett is doing uh, a bit as well. Did, did this ruling, Rhino, surprise you at all? The court did not side with the state of Texas? A little bit on the face of it, but then when I dug down a little bit deeper, it seems like the court was falling back on precedent, that it's the federal government's job to handle the border and not the state's job. And the argument that was presented to them wasn't trying to overturn precedent. I believe it was simply asking about the precedent. Hmm. If they had challenged the federal government for not doing its job of protecting the border, then I think it might have been a different story. Because that's the the flaw in what you said, and I, I know it's not your argument one way or the other, Texas's argument should should be they're not doing their job. Right. Hundreds of thousands of people are crossing illegally our southern border into our state, and you're not doing a flipping thing about it. And so we're left to our own devices. But then when they do that, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. Like, for example, if the argument had been the Constitution states it is the federal government's responsibility to protect the states from invasion, mm -hmm. then 
the more conservative Supreme Court justices could have ruled that, yes, it is the federal government's responsibility, and they are not doing so. And DHS, in a statement, um, welcomed the high court's order saying enforcement of immigration law is a federal responsibility. Which the irony in that statement alone is so rich. But it follows it up by saying, rather than helping to reduce irregular migration, the state of Texas has only made it harder for frontline personnel to do their jobs and to apply consequences under the law. But there are no consequences. That's the problem. That's the issue. But, as is so often the case, and right now I think you make a really good point when, when you talk about Supreme Court, it's like, okay, what is the question on the table? They are ruling on the question that is being asked, not the overall issue. And on the question that was being asked, that uh, it did not go particularly well. Um, the Is it the lieutenant governor? Let's see here. Paxton? Or, no, he's the Attorney General. Uh, Ken Paxton um, says the destruction of Texas's border barriers will not help enforce the law or keep American citizens safe. The fight is not over, and I look forward to defending our state sovereignty. And remember, if you go back a little bit farther, the issue here was the state of Texas sued the federal government and charged Border Patrol agents with trespassing and destruction of state property for cutting razor wire that the state of Texas had installed. And a lower court ruled on the side of the federal government and then they appealed it to what's it, fifth second fifth court? Fifth Circuit? Is that New Orleans? Or is that second? Whatever. Appealed it to the federal level, uh, sided with the state of Texas Supreme Court though goes back and uh, sides with the feds. So that's where we are. Got a mess. Over 100,000 have been shipped on buses and planes out of Texas to sanctuary cities. That's going well. More coming up with you, the noon hour of middays. Stay tuned, the news, and then we will be back with Senator David Parker from DeSoto County. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Lunchtime hour on Super Talk Mississippi. This is Middays with Gerard Gibbert. I am decidedly not Gerard Gibbert. Richard Cross in for Gerard today in the Element Wealth studio. What are you thinking or are you thinking about planning a retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or give them a call at 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantee. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. We remind you, please don't text and drive. Excited to welcome uh, Senator David Parker. He represents District 2. That's DeSoto County in northwest Mississippi. Uh, he's got his new committee assignments. He is the uh, the chair of the Senate Accountability, Efficiency, and Transparency Committee, and he's in studio with us today in the uh, in the big chair. Senator Parker, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Richard. On a day dominated by federal politics and news, it's uh, nice to for you to probably get a little break from that and uh, talk a little bit of state policy. 
Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that. So uh, let's so let's start with with this new committee of which you are chair: uh, accountability, efficiency, and transparency. What is the um, what's the primary role of that committee and your job as as chair of the committee? Well, I, I think we all call it AET, and uh, you've given the correct name for it. But I think you could also call it. Um, uh, additional education and thought, okay. uh, because I believe most of the bills that come to AAT are those kind of bills, the ones that uh, do not have a solid solution, just like a, a yes/no type of question. Their policy that requires, you know, greater thought and greater debate, and you know, to to get things right. I think the AAT committee, you know, uh, passes less legislation than many of the committees, uh, but at the end of the day, we try to get it right as we move things through the through the process. I was going to say that. I mean, does that make it more difficult to get things done if there are more complex issues where there's not just a definitive "this is right, this is wrong"? Well, I think that's the reason why AET has the, you know, kind of the the history of uh, some people calling it the killing committee. When you have a number of bills that have that level of com- uh, complexity to them, you know, there's no way you're going to pass, you know bill upon bill upon bill out of a committee that requires you know additional education and thought uh, you're going to have to selectively find the ones that are are ready you know for the process and continue to look at ones that are not ready for prime time so to speak who makes the decision as to whether or not a bill comes to your committee a lieutenant governor okay so that that is the lieutenant governor so if there is a bill that comes out of of a different committee where he thinks there is a question as to whether or not it needs to be looked at more closely that's when it gets sent to you well he will make you know any bill that's introduced by the senate he will make his referrals uh you know and they will go to the committees that he selects at that time uh you know he can select it to go to one committee you know sometimes he'll select a, a bill to go to two you know and i think just during the process if you see a bill go to more than one committee it either has controversy in it uh or it has um uh uh, a very small uh, chance of passing. If you see one get triple referred, you know, I mean, it's on life support at the, at the point of introduction. So, uh, you know, I, I think a few of them end up AET that are uh, just strictly to AET, and then some end up in AET that are, uh, you know, going more than one place. I feel like there's one um, uh, issue in particular that uh, a lot of people are fascinated by and uh, and think is important, and that's the ballot of a uh, ballot initiative process. Um, last couple of years, the House and the Senate were not able to agree, at least as my understanding, on uh, on getting a new ballot initiative process passed. Uh, you've talked about this a little bit. You've been quoted about it a little bit, with maybe outside interest kind of trying to influence the way um, things might go to that process. Give us an update on. On where that is, how important it is in your mind to get something passed that gives us a true roadmap for ballot initiative. Well, I think if you look at the the history of the ballot initiative, you know we've had this as discussion uh, not just back to 1991 or so, but it goes back to 1914. You know when we first put an initiative and referendum, you know, and into the process. And what happened on that is by 1917 there were already challenges. There were things they were coming up with it that were producing problems. The first one uh, had to do with the fish and gaming industry, you know, and so there were uh, initial rulings by that by the Supreme Court. Uh, then there was another uh, ruling by that that basically overturned it, and the ballot initiative, as we saw it, basically kind of just kind of just hovered around, you know, from about 1920 until 1991. 
okay. then in 1991, when uh, some candidates running for office um, had a platform that involved the lottery, you know, they decided to reawaken that process. You know, and so what we've had, you know, as a process since then was shaped really by one policy uh, and that need or desire to get that one policy onto the ballot. You know, and I don't think that that's what people who voted for a ballot initiative want to see. I don't think they want to see one issue, you know, that is the big one that's being pushed to kind of get through that, uh, uh, you know, that, that could come from, you know, thoughts of people within our state or could come from thoughts from people outside our state, you know. And so whatever we do with this process, if I'm one of those who's making uh, any kind of uh, decision on where this might go, we just got to do this right or we're going to end up back in court again, you know, like we've been, uh, I think, you know, uh, pushing a half dozen times already since 1914. Are the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, I, I don't live in this world on a daily basis, certainly like you do, but the two biggest kind of recent issues that have been ballot initiative questions, uh, didn't, didn't we have that issue when we were having flag discussions and then also with marijuana legalization, uh, or at least parts of that process? Are those the, the two big ones most recently? Well, we also, also had Initiative 42, which had to do with the MAP funding formula. I think probably during my uh, short time in the Senate, the two that have popped up have been Initiative 42 regarding MAP and then the uh, the marijuana uh, referendum that passed. The The one regarding the state flag was uh, much before my time of service. Okay. All right, so let me just ask you, Point Blake, how, how important is it for the citizens of Mississippi to have um, a vehicle for there to be a ballot initiative that is that is clear, that is straightforward, that is understandable, and ultimately, if all of the boxes are checked along the way, gives the option to have something go on the ballot for the state, the, the citizens of the state, to actually decide on. Well, the important thing is, you know, to your point, yes, all those things are important, but at the same time, we want to make sure that whoever's voting on something really knows what they're voting on. You know, and so in the process, there are there are 26 states that that have a referendum uh, or initiative type of process. Mm-hmm. You know, and of those, 16 of the 26 have a uh, a single item type of uh, policy on there, where it makes it more transparent in the sense of what am I actually voting on. Uh, for example, the marijuana initiative, it had uh, numerous provisions in there that affected uh, a lot of different avenues of state government that I don't think the majority of people voting uh, on the question really understood all of the ramifications of it. So uh, when I vote on something, you know, I want to know exactly what I'm voting for, you know, and and I also think that, you know, uh, sometimes by putting it in the Constitution, you know, we can make severe errors if we don't do things right. You know, and uh, and you can't pull something out of the Constitution very easily, uh, and so we want to be sure whatever we do, we're making sure that uh, we're we're doing it the correct way. You want to be able to avoid gotcha wording for for an initiative, right? Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah, I, you know, gotcha wording, or you know, just uh, you know, getting back to the name of the committee: accountability, efficiency, and transparency. You know, I, I think transparency is the key word in the committee that I'm going to serve on. And John Polk has been a de- dear friend of mine for many years. I've told him uh, I hope to be able to do half the job that he did as the lead of AET. You know, over the years. You know, and uh, but that key word in our committee is transparency. You know, and in any and every decision that I'm 
you know, um, task to try to make. I'm going to make sure we're transparent to the voters and uh, whoever is, uh, um, you know, being pushed to make a decision. Visiting with Senator David Parker represents the 2nd District in Mississippi, that is DeSoto County. We had um, Ryan Miller and uh, Courtney Taylor on earlier today from uh, Accelerate Mississippi, and uh, they made reference to the fact that uh, you were over the Workforce uh, Committee in in previous sessions. Uh, One of the things that I talked with them about, and and I may have gotten bogged down a little bit unintentionally, was kind of the role of workforce development in conjunction with, with MDA. With, with your work with, with workforce development, how, how do you see those things kind of intersecting and intertwining? Well, I'll say that I'll say first that I think Ryan and his team are doing an excellent job. Mm-hmm. Uh, when at the beginning of last session, when I sat down with Lieutenant Governor, uh, we did not have an Office of Workforce Development. We did not have a lead for Office of Workforce Development, uh, and the person who was supposedly in charge uh, did not understand workforce development at the time. <laughs> not a good uh, plan. And so, but we were able to, you know, get Ryan, and Ryan has come to to his role with uh, a blank whiteboard of decision-making abilities as far as how to do things. And one thing that that I saw happen when we had our last large economic development project involving the steel industry in the Starkville area, I believe it was last session or or so, um, one of the first things I asked Ryan and his team was, did MDA... Senator, I'm going to interrupt you just for a minute. Have you got time to hang through the break for for one more segment? Absolutely. Let's pick this this conversation up. I think this is important. We'll do that when we uh, come back visiting with uh, the senator from DeSoto County, David Parker. Um, we are in the Element Wealth Studio. This is Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. We're back with you right after this. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. Back on Middays on Super Talk Mississippi, Richard Cross in for Gerard today. We're coming to you from the Element Wealth Studio. We're joined by Senator David Parker, who represents District uh, District 2 in DeSoto County. Thanks for hanging with us for one more segment. We were talking about workforce development, your role in that committee, uh, and I think you were referencing the the economic development project in the Golden Triangle area right. as it pertains to steel before we uh, before we went to the break. Right, and so when we had that project come to our attention, one of the first questions I had for Ryan and his team was, you know, had MDA pulled you into the process of, you know, this plan and what's, what's going to be happening with this major investment in our state? Um, and at that time, their office really um, was was still kind of kind of finding their feet and kind of finding their location, and so they really weren't involved. And the the important thing there that we missed out on is that when we have a new company come into the state that's offering some high paying jobs, we have a duty to try to find that company the the workers that are needed for those jobs. But we also need a plan for some of the surrounding industries and businesses that yeah. could possibly be losing workers to the new industry that's coming there. 
And I think that's what the Office of Workforce Development is all about. Is it's it's not just planning and and helping MDA with these you know whale or the very very large projects, but it's allowing through Inflex and other things we've worked on the last four years to allow businesses to expand and to let the employers know that hey we're going to have you an educated workforce not just today but for generations to come so that you can continue your business and not just start it in our state. And and isn't that one of the offshoots of of economic development that maybe doesn't get talked as much about? I I would go back to um, Toyota when it came to the the Blue Springs area, Pontotoc, Union, Lee counties, the the Pole Alliance, and all that was involved with that. Okay, Toyota's coming, and that's fantastic. It's going to create a ton of jobs. But all the suppliers that subsequently came because of the need to be close to that Toyota manufacturing facility – I mean, it's almost incalculable how much that has meant in terms of additional jobs, additional tax base, good-paying jobs, and all those things. Right, and I'm I'm excited. You know, the the new plant that's going to be located in Marshall County right. is it's you know one county away from DeSoto County. Right. And what we have in DeSoto County is we have a, a distribution city, you know, a, a distribution center, you know, centered around UPS and FedEx. And so a lot of our business and industry is kind of centered around that model. But when you do add your manufacturing model, you know, they are a natural partner, in my opinion, to the distribution model. You know, so Without the more question. and more of these manufacturing partners we can have locate in and around the state, they create extra incentives for us. And even the Ford uh, new uh, electric uh, vehicle plant, uh, I'm sorry, the plant that's up in Tennessee, you know, it's, it's interesting that they put that type of uh, facility there. Well, they're going to need supplies and they're going to need things like batteries and other things like that. You know, and so you see natural partners kind of, you know, cohabitate together, and uh, and I think that's exciting for our state. Senator Parker, you're also vice chair on the Public Health and Welfare Committee on the uh, on the Senate side. What's the most pressing issue on that front? Oh, I, you know, I, we've got a hearing I think tomorrow on mental health. Mental health uh, continues to be one of the things that. You know, we we need to put more attention, but need to put more, um, just kind of a spotlight on that. Um, I don't think that we have certainly reached our goals, you know, in uh, being where we want to be there. So I look forward to having some conversations. On, we, we actually have a joint uh, public health hearing tomorrow between the House and Senate, I believe, regarding mental health. So be interested to see what that dialogue brings into this session. And Ha Brian chairing that on the the Senate side, and then um, Sam Creekmore on the on the House side is the the chair of that committee as well, right? Yeah, Sam is. Uh, you know, I've had a chance to work with him over the last four years as he's uh, you know come into his role in the House, and uh, uh, he's a good man. He's a good um, uh, confident thinker. You know, mm-hmm. and he's. Uh, I, I think he's going to do do a uh, very very good job in that new role that uh, the Speaker gave him. Yeah, it was interesting. We. Um, uh, our show in the afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, we were in New Albany a few months back, and, and Sam was on with us. And you can tell, uh, I guess I filled in for Paul uh, that day, and, and there is a very real passion uh, and an understanding, I think, for, for what needs to happen on the, the mental health side of things. Yeah, and, uh, and people ask sometimes, why are you know committees and, and chairmen adjusted over time? You know, and when I started, you know, of course, my first term, I didn't, you know, I came in as a special election, just kind of figuring out where I was. But, you know, I spent a lot of time on the DUI law, 
you know, and then I moved to Veterans Affairs, and I, I worked uh, very hard on veteran and military affairs issues for four years. And this past session, economic development and workforce, working on inflex and you know, and our economic development. And so, I think when you move new people into new roles, they bring their own mode of thinking, you know. And it's exciting when you have uh, you know different uh, backgrounds giving issues thought than uh, than just the same you know kind of uh, uh, opinion that kind of resonates each year. So certainly the, the lieutenant governor sets the agenda for the, the Senate, and, and the things that are important to him are going to be the things that uh, are kind of take priority during a, a given session. But what about for you individually? Um, beyond just, yes, going with the direction of the, the lieutenant governor right. wants to go, what, what's in your mind really important right now for uh, the Senate side of things to tackle and to be looking at whether it's getting new legislation this session or saying, look, over the course of the next three or four years, this is an area we really need to be focused. And maybe you just kind of start laying the groundwork this year for something that happens two, three, four years down the line. Well, I'll say, you know, last year I spent um, a good part of the session on the Jackson water situation. Um, We did not get a solution to that. Um, I'm continuing to work on that. I plan to introduce legislation again this year, you know, to try to find a future governance model uh, to to use those resources from the feds that have come in, um, you know, not just in the immediate need, but to you know, kind of put the governance there for the future, so that when these problems are repaired, you know, that we have uh, accountability and we have uh, transparency in in how that system is going to work for years to come. I think that's one of our most important things in this area, and uh, so I look forward to working on that again this year. How hard is that in terms of developing the right strategy between local governance and? state governance over what a lot would look at as a local issue, but others would be like, no, this is more than just a local issue if it re- happens repeatedly and, and can't be fixed in a in a reasonable manner. So so up in DeSoto County, we have what's called DeCrua, which is a DeSoto County Rural uh, Utility Association. And so mm-hmm. the proposal that we have for Jackson is MCRUA. We have just similar, you know, so it's a regional uh, meeting of minds or, or, or rate payers, you know, so that you can make decisions that are right for uh, a region instead of just, uh, you know, one municipality or, or one, one area that has a, a service need. You know, and so we've had a lot of discussions on that. I look forward to more discussions uh, this year as we move into the session. Uh, but that's another thing to how we started our segment, you know, about giving each and every uh, issue the uh, the careful education and thought and the attention that's needed. Uh, the the non traditional AET, you know, of giving it thought, I think, is what uh, I hope to bring to the table on this and many other issues. Do you sense a willingness with with leadership in the the city of Jackson uh, to to work? I mean, understanding okay, this is a problem that has to be fixed, and while we might love to fix it on our own, we we can't do that. Is there a willingness to accept that reality and say, okay, let let's bring a bunch of minds together and and see if we can get this right, where it's not only fixed with a patch today, but we actually have a process going forward. Yeah. Well, I think going forward, 
you know, each and every, you know, area that has interest in this is going to want to have the proper repre- representation mm-hmm. to kind of know that they have ears in the in the room when decisions are being made. You know, and so on the policy that, that I proposed last year, uh, the, the city mayor would get four appointments to the uh, to to this uh, uh, new board. Then we, we set this utility board. Um, the uh, uh, governor would get three and lieutenant governor would get two. So you'd have a nine member board. Each and every one of those leaders would have input through the appointments that they make and each one of those appointees would have to be confirmed you know to be put on the board you know so we're allowing that input to go across all of the uh, the to your point you know the levels of government so that we get the input from each and every area that's so uh, necessary to, to fix a need like that busy with senator david parker wrapping up our time together we um, have have heard that there is a possibility that uh, there's more good economic development news for the state of Mississippi that is uh, on the way. Uh, do we just have to stay tuned for that, or is there, there any, any light that you can shine, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say the rumors have been very strong. You know, and so, uh, you know, and uh, I would expect maybe if there's going to be an announcement, I would expect it, you know, fairly soon. You know, but this is all part of moving Mississippi forward, you know, and uh, with back to Ryan Miller and his team. You know, when they set up the name Accelerate, you know, Accelerate is what we want to do. We want to put the, you know, put our foot down, accelerate the needle, you know, make Mississippi a better and stronger place for uh the, the people who grow up here to yeah. want to stay here and, and raise a family and be proud of our state. And also for new people to uh, come here and call this their home as well. Senator Parker, thank you so much for your time today. Great visiting, and I uh, hope we can catch up again soon. Thank you, Richard. Enjoy. Senator David Parker, uh, District 2 from DeSoto County. A lot on his plate as uh, just a couple of weeks into a new legislative session. We'll take a time out. we got more coming up. Half an hour of middays on Super Talk Mississippi Left with you in the Element Wealth Studio. We interrupt this program... Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. Hey, Rhino, I have some news to share. What's that? It's not personal. This is uh, this is work news. Um, we have a uh, a contest that is coming soon that I think will uh, be exciting for many people. Um, so now there's some that are going to hate this. Willie sent me a message that said this: a certain fan of the Kansas City Chiefs is going to be performing at a certain venue here in the South later this year. And Super Talk Mississippi is going to be giving you a chance to win tickets. We'll tell you more about who and where and all the details on how you can win starting next week. Next Wednesday, that is, February 1st. Can you connect the dots for me there? What's he talking about? I didn't know Jason Kelsey had a singing career. Yeah. Boy, did that guy have fun at a game? <laughs> wow. Um, he recent. apparently ingratiated himself with the Bills fans, and I heard nothing but good things. Yeah. 
Retirement for uh, Jason Kelsey is off to a really good start. Oh, yeah. Re- really good start for uh, for him. I love the picture of him swinging by the, the fast food place and, and giving a shirt to his favorite fast food cashier. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, good conversation with David Parker, the uh, senator from District 2. Uh, covered a lot of ground there with him. Uh, some initiatives this year, some things that he thinks that are important. The uh, the ballot initiative process, continuing to uh, examine that. Do you have any takeaway on that? You, I know you remember watching closely over the um, the wringing of hands over the ballot initiative process a few years ago. It feels like the the sticking point has been, since it was struck down by the Mississippi Supreme Court, on the number of signatures. Yeah. And the House, historically, seems to have had a lower number. The Senate, historically, I mean, we're, we're new in this session, so we could all change. But the Senate has had a higher number. And I've had a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that with the entire length of a legislative session, you can't get enough people in a room to meet in the middle on that. Is the House unwilling to move one iota above their number and is the Senate unwilling to slide their number down a bit? Because you would think you just split the difference and both parties wouldn't be 100% happy, but that's compromise. That's kind of the name of the game. Used to be. Used to be how government worked. Um, we have less of that than we've ever had. Hopefully at the state level it can be okay. And, and you know, what? Is, Normally, when we talk about compromise, we're talking about compromise between Republicans and Democrats, right? Right. You know, d- different sides of the aisle coming together. Nobody's completely happy. Everybody's a little bit happy, and that's how you move on as, as best you can, and we try to function as human beings. Here, we're talking about compromise but on the same side of the aisle between two different bodies that are, you know, tasked with governing us, helping us govern. Um Ben and Madison sent us a message earlier, said that the current constitutional language requires 12% of the previous gubernatorial election spread uh, equally through the congressional districts, and that equates to about 107,000 signatures spread equally through the uh, congressional districts in Mississippi. And that was part of the hang-up, too, right? I mean, you were having to have a certain number of signatures from congressional districts that no longer exist. Right, they or it the, changed. The law states a, a certain number of districts, and those that certain number is no longer viable. They they didn't give it any wiggle room. It was just this many districts, this much this much of the vote, and the Supreme Court had to look at it and go, yeah, there's the math ain't math in here. Yeah. Um, we were talking earlier about uh, border issues and the. Uh, in the southern United States, the, the Texas-Mexico border primarily. And it was about a week and a half ago, there was a press release from the governor's office in Texas, Governor Greg Abbott, and uh, the Texas Department of Public Safety and the Te- uh, Texas National Guard. So a joint statement there. They started Operation Lone Star, what was it, three years ago, three or four years ago? Um for a long time, Texas has been dealing with this issue at the border, uh, coinciding, I guess, with the uh, the start of this presidency. And there 
Operation Lone Star efforts, the multi-agency effort, has led to over almost 500,000 illegal immigrant apprehensions, more than 38,000 arrests, almost 35,000 felony charges as a result of those arrests, and in the fight against fentanyl, which is such a big deal, but easily, I feel like, gets kind of shuffled to the side. Like, we talk about it, we talk about it, we talk about it, and then it just kind of yeah, goes away. But the stream of fentanyl into the United States continues. They've seized over 453 million doses of fentanyl during the border, uh, border mission. But here's the part that has gotten the most headlines, has gotten the most pushback, and has reminded us that uh, a lot of what Democrats say is, listen to what I say, good for you, not good for me, uh, you know, do for you, don't worry about me. Because Texas has bussed 12,500 migrants to Washington, D.C. since April of 2022. New York City has received, not exactly with open arms, 37,100 migrants since August of 2022. August 2022, nearly 31,000 to Chicago. And the way Chicago's treating that, I mean, declaring a state of emergency, asking for federal help, but doing everything they can to shield the media from covering it, especially at O'Hare, which is one of the busiest airports in the world, and a spot where they are housing migrants. 3,400 to Philadelphia, nearly 16,000 to Denver, and over 1,500 to Los Angeles. Obviously, all of these are sanctuary cities, places where they were like, yes, we'll, we'll take you in. But not really expecting to have to take that many in. And they have called it a political stunt, and they have called it inhumane and launched investigations into this. What choice has Greg Abbott been left? You want to add those numbers up? You want to take those 100,000 people that we just referenced and leave them all in Texas for Texas to take care of it? You said, we welcome all these people, so we're giving you the opportunity to really welcome them. But it has created a massive problem for those uh, those cities. Well, the question is, does Abbott take a page out of biden's playbook where the supreme court strikes down an idea of his and he just goes you know what i'm still gonna do it because i mean the supreme court said you can't have affirmative action in colleges biden's administration is working overtime trying to add racial quotas wherever they can supreme court said nope you can't forgive student loans with the stroke of a pen what are they doing looking for every opportunity to forgive as many student loans as they can so does Abbott just say, you know what, Supreme Court? Enforce it. And what does that look like? That's when it gets pretty sticky. Because yeah. I would not put it past Biden to play on the optics of sending the U.S. military to the border to tell the Texas National Guard to stand down. And would they? You would think, but... Then again, stranger things have happened. We, we are we're, we're talking about Texas. 
I mean, you're talking you're talking about the Texas National Guard, United States military. You say the optics of it. Well, Biden loves to talk about how you you can't take on the government. We've got jets. We've got bot. You can't do it. I just I wouldn't put it past him. Would there be a faster way to ensure that neither he nor anybody else in his party is the next president? Than using the United States military to face off against a sitting National Guard? Or do you have a bit less antagonistic approach and Abbott just goes, all right, National Guard, y'all take the day off. Texas Rangers, y'all are on the border. Hmm. All of this aside, I know there are a lot of people that look at issues like this as very much black and white, and I don't mean racial. I mean, like, there's an, like here's the yes, here's the no. Kind of goes back to our conversation with David Parker. The uh, additional thought needed. Um, it really is a complex issue. Because not all of the bad people who are seeking asylum, I'm sorry, all not all of the people who are seeking asylum are bad people. Not all of them are lazy. Not all of them are drug traffickers. Not all of them are criminals. There are a lot of good people here as well. It's hard to just throw the whole thing away and also have some compassion for human life. Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Last new music that was released by Billy Joel, but that is changing on February 1st. Yeah, the river ran dry after that. Uh, The only new tidbit that Billy Joel has put out since 1993 came in 2007. It was a ballad called All My Life. It's part of a collection, no promotion for it. Uh, That is changing, though. And uh, it's going to coincide with uh, Billy Joel's upcoming 150th show at Madison Square Garden. That is uh, this July. You on board with new Bill- Billy Joel music? Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. I just did- I can't believe I did that. Oh, goodness. I have almost said sports talk like 17 times today. And if, I mean, I got to the very last segment. Rhino. There, there are worse names to be called than Hey Dad. But as far as Billy Joel, I, I'm of two minds. Okay. I do enjoy his catalog of music, but and and I am looking forward to hearing what he what he's going to put out. Okay. But 
he does run the risk of not putting out the best. I mean, he's had plenty of time to to really. <laughs> he's had three decades to work on it. Right. It's just you, you don't want to have that last album fizzle because I mean, River of Dreams has been a a classic since it was released. I mean, it's been used all over the place. Even if you didn't know the name of the song, you know the song. Yeah. Is he going to have a single off this album? Is he going to have a hit or two off this album that are at that level? Because he set a pretty high bar for himself. I just hope he he can meet it. So, is there a piano man? Is there a... We didn't start the fire. Is there a New York state of mind? Right. And 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 those are pretty high bars. I mean, how many other musical artists or bands or groups or whatever have a strong enough catalog of music that you can make an entire Broadway musical just using their music? It's called Moving Out. Yeah. That was the name of the, uh, the Broadway show. It was the Billy Joel show. So, but, and here's the counter to that. The Rolling Stones took a little bit of a risk rolling out a new album that many argue is the best new mu- uh, best music they put out in 40 years. They just yeah, in the last year, new Rolling Stones album. People love it. Well, they've always been a little bit of they've been willing to change and shift and adjust their sound and and play to newer audiences and newer ears. I mean, you go back to their Bridges of Babylon album and how different that was. And it it had mixed reviews, but it's grown up more of a cult following than it had at the beginning. Whereas Billy Joel, it seems like from beginning to end of his his musical career, there's been a consistency of sound. Yeah. It's funny, we talked about it the other day on Sports Talk. I don't know how we got onto a Billy Joel conversation. I think it was a YouTube rabbit hole, but... Have you seen the the YouTube video where the student at Vanderbilt went and played New York State of Mind on stage with him? And it was a Q&A deal. And basically, he, he raised his hand. He's like, hey, I've been fortunate to play some really cool spots in New York. Could could I come play New York State of Mind with you? I have hey, not Billy seen Joel. that, but I'll have to check it out. Yeah, you should check it out because Billy Joel was like, um, sure, come on. And he's walking up to the stage, and uh, and Billy Joel goes, so what key do you want to play it in? <laughs> and kid goes, what key do you want to sing it in? <laughs> so he's like, all right, here we go. Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, pretty good. So we'll uh, we'll see what that is coming uh, coming soon, Billy Joel. Uh, another good day on Wall Street in what has been a good second half of the year on Wall Street. Yesterday hit an all-time high. Uh, the Dow did at thirty-eight thousand. That is, um, that's pretty salty. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's so hard to reconcile what's happening on Wall Street and what it costs to live on a day-to-day basis. It's like, okay, somebody's making a gazillion dollars, but this gallon of milk still costs twice what it did three years ago. How am I supposed to make all of that fit together? I don't know. Maybe Gerard can answer that question. Somebody smarter than uh, I am. It has been fun being with you, Rhino. Always a pleasure to work with you. Oh, yeah. 
Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, Rebecca will be coming along in an hour. She'll be on with you with good things from 2 until 3, and then uh, we'll have sports talk this afternoon from 3 until 6. Uh, appreciate our guests being with us today, Senator David Parker from DeSoto County, and uh, also Ryan Miller and Courtney Taylor from Accelerate Mississippi. News is coming up next. That does it for us in the Element Wealth Studio. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. This is Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.